question. Are you ready to reach new limits? It's time to change your family tree and redefine industry. Enough with all the cliche cookie cutter recommendations about finance, business, and life. You found the podcast to give you the tips you need to create the unconventional lifestyle and outcomes you've always wanted. It's time to build your own systems and play your own game. You're tapped in with the one and only Dan Nicholson, and this is Rigging the Game Podcast. Listeners, I am super excited to share with you that my book, Rigging the Game, How to Achieve Financial Certainty, Navigate Risk, and Make Money on Your Terms, is finally available. If you want more details, check it out at riggingamazon.com. Renee, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Renee, we've known each other for, for a couple years. Uh, you've got a business that's uh, near my house, and so we've got a bunch of mutual connections. And you're a recent uh, graduate of our uh, program, a Certainty Certified Advisor. And uh, so I've had an opportunity to get to know you uh, even better through that program. But where I like to uh, start the show is tell the audience about yourself, but not the boring sort of resume version that everyone wants to read. Like you got degrees and you've got a bunch of impressive stuff. But if you could just share sort of the autobiographical version, what, what is it that you really want people to know, know about you as a human? Yeah, this is something that uh, has evolved over the years, but I think really what it comes down to is I create space for people to live life with more ease. So I have a mindfulness-based preschool near you, uh, and then I also work with adults um, at, with pause in consulting and leadership development. And what I really do is um, build the foundation for the preschoolers so they can live life with more ease. And then I peel away, help adults peel away the conditioning and all the things that get in their way of living with more ease. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that part about adults, because so much of uh, CCA is <laughs> helping adults kind of unlearn some of the things that we've condi been conditioned to feel like we have to do or we should do. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you could talk a little bit more about what you mean about living life with ease, because I'm super fascinated by that concept. Yeah, it's, I mean, this also comes from my own journey of uh, really bringing myself to like my natural state, I would say. Um, mm. Over the years, you know, I grew up with immigrant parents. So there's a, a great deal of striving, uh, mm. a great deal of expectation around academics. Uh, and so as I started my preschool and brought mindfulness into the early childhood setting, I started on my own journey of self-awareness and mindfulness as a type A personality, mm. uh, recovering perfectionist, mm. and learned yeah. a lot about myself, learned a lot of things that I wanted and needed to unlearn that were getting in my way. And so as I was engaging with people, um, both, you know, through my business, my family, um, friends, I realized that people have a lot of story. And I typically, and in my natural state, don't have a lot of story. I'm a little more um, stating things as they are, uh, you know, which both sides have their pros and cons. Uh, I can be a little more factual. I feel like I uh, can see things clearly without adding a bunch of meaning to it. And so, through the past decade plus, I realized that 
we are the cause of our own suffering, you know, from either end of the spectrum, as mild as it may be, all the way to some like catastrophic, um, catastrophic ways that we create the meaning in our lives that, you know, we don't have to live in that type of, of suffering. And so um, I can hold space for people, I can ask questions, uh, but something that people will often say to me is something about my presence in new situations. They like my presence. And I didn't really know what that meant for a long time until recently. And that, and that's kind of where the create space is because I don't, I don't talk to fill time or space. Um, I do things to fill time I've learned. Um, but I, I seem to draw people that want to talk and they'll open up to me and they'll say things that maybe they've never said to other people, even close family and friends. So it's just the, um, the highs and lows, especially working, uh, and you probably experienced this too, working with those of us entrepreneurs that like the, the highs and lows of life, like the adrenaline spikes, um, that there is a way to just be in the world uh, without that and feel comfortable with it. Yeah, there's this model, the rigid chaos model. And uh, you mentioned highs and lows and entrepreneurs, we tend to do this in the extremes where we uh, maybe consider ourselves to be a visionary and we just want someone to take care of all the number stuff and the operational things. I'm not an operator, right? And so then we maybe have a bunch of chaos because we were trying to kind of ignore the operational and money stuff and then on the, so that we might be feeling a high during that period of time. And then there's a low around the other end uh, of, re, of all this sort of damage control. And then we implement this new, very rigid structure. Oh, I'm just going to do better now. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I all, know well. and all of that comes back to, you mentioned, just looking down on my notes, natural state and presence. I think about uh, the terminology that we use, playing your game. And it sounds like when you were talking about natural state and presence that you've kind of figured out your game and other people are drawn to that. So can you kind of share a bit about the process self-discovery that you went through to kind of figure that, figure that out? Well, you know, just to give a context of where I was, I'm from the East coast. So very hard driving. If you're from the West coast and you've worked with people from the East coast, uh, just the speed in which we do things, how on top of things that we are typically stereotypical, of course, there are exceptions to the rule, but I pretty much fit that stereotypical, like Boston, New York kind of um, directness. And I, I know that well. Yeah, I know exactly <laughs> yeah. what you mean. And I'm sure it was. Yeah. So when I moved to the, to the West Coast, uh, you know, I was here for several years before finding my, um, starting my preschool. And it was right during that financial crash and the real estate crash. And so I was finding a lot of people with, you know, job loss, depression, anxiety, things like that. And I thought, you know, I have the, these preschoolers, two and three-year-olds that there's gotta be something where people don't have to suffer so much. And so I knew I wasn't going to take away suffering, but I, I figured there was something to ease the burden of it. And so I found mindfulness as a, a curriculum that I could bring into the classroom. So in doing that, my journey really started as mindfulness as a curriculum for preschoolers. Mm. Well, I mentioned my immigrant parents and academics. And so I have lots of certifications uh, and, <laughs> and, and degrees and yeah. impressive things, right? That really, in the 
grand scheme of things don't really matter uh, as much. But I came across mindfulness at a time that was a little bit controversial during the, the preschool years. Bringing it in that young was up for debate. But there was a certification program. So I got certified in being a mindfulness instructor. And part of that was um, mindfulness practices, meditation, and uh, a silent retreat. And that really was the thing that kicked off my journey. I would try and, you know, listen to some apps and and sit for a few minutes, but my mind was racing and all the to-dos that I had to do for the school and the businesses uh, I was running. Uh, I seem to always be running two businesses simultaneously. I can never just focus on one. And really it was that silent retreat where I was able to still the body, still the mind, and just get my nervous system back down to like a, a decent baseline. Mm-hmm. And so it was in that moment where I was actually faced, you know, in CCA, we talk about we- mirrors and windows. Uh, so I came into this eight day retreat, but the first two and a half days were silent for those full two and a half days. And a business group had come in and by day, the morning so the, the second and a half day, the morning that we were about to come out of silence, I was coming back from breakfast, which I knew ended at 8.30. So it was about 8.20 and I was getting back to our workshop and this gentleman was coming, um, you know, business casual dress, had his laptop swung across his shoulder and he was just booking down the path, but like not running, but you could feel the energy and I could see him from afar, but I could feel the energy and it stopped me dead in my tracks. And I recognized in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, that was me two and a half days ago. Mm. And because my nervous system had settled so much, it felt like time slowed down. It felt like I was moving through molasses. And so I could really see the, the stark difference in that. And it was in that moment that I'm like, I am never going back to that again. Mm. So that's really where the journey, and then it just kind of grew from there. I, I got into different um, different practices that had really helped me. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very uh, powerful story that you just shared, and also that that uh, moment where you see your it's almost like you're it sounded like almost like this out of body experience where you're seeing you're seeing someone else, but simultaneously seeing your 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 previous self and. I think that feeds nicely into, uh, we have these four commandments that we talk about in CCAs and uh, Certified Certainty Advisor Program. And uh, the first one is this concept, this commandment, and we call them commandments because they're rules we don't want to break. And so the number one uh, commandment is closer over more. And so every action we take needs to get us closer to what we want. And we tend to default to thinking, more is the answer to all of our problems. We need more clients, we need more uh, employees, more, 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 more. And that can potentially be true, but the danger is is that you could get further away uh, from what you actually want because money is not the only currency in life. There are other currencies like time and influence and energy and reputation. And we could come up with others, but those are the main ones that we talk about. And so if your number one uh, priority is more time, getting a bunch more clients and more employees might get you further away, right? And so I mentioned that because as you're talking about um, your experience at this retreat and uh, 
that sort of sounds to me like a moment where you got clarity on what you're really trying to get closer to. Is that fair to say? It is. And that was 12 years ago. And it's amazing that, you know, I try not to say this too often, like the, the first thing that comes to mind, I wish I knew about the commandment closer over more and what that really meant in that, you know, soon following that, that moment of clarity. Uh, but if I had known that without all the experiences over the past decade, it wouldn't have been as impactful as it is, has been for me in the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the more striving for more was kind of a typical type A uh, orientation. T totally get it. Uh, we're we're not too dissimilar. I'm also a t type A recovering people pleaser, so it totally makes sense to me. Uh, the thing about closer over more is it's really I like to think about it as an infinite game because we keep changing and evolving, and so the thing that we think we want now, we realize a couple months later. We want something entirely different. And some of us can go down these complete shame spirals over it. But the reality is, is that we're continually evolving. And so new information, turns out you didn't want it. That's, that's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just a thing. So could you uh, share a bit about how you've started to implement this concept of closer versus more in your life? And I have some follow-up questions because you have kids and... Uh, I've really appreciated the anecdotes that you shared about how this principle has really come to play with your kids. Yeah. So closer versus more. And I think this also feeds from my mindfulness background, the mindfulness piece is around choice. And so what I've seen in overlap there is like you just said, sometimes we do want more, but the human tendency is to go there without thinking about it and not choosing to go for more. It's just that human tendency of not like defaulting to more. So in my life, what I realized is, especially as a kind of serial entrepreneur, having had multiple businesses and the kind of hustle and grind environment that tends to be, to be attached to running a business and being an entrepreneur is that I was constantly, everything was more, more revenue, more clients, um, I wanted more time with my family. I wanted, uh, you know, when we were looking at a house, when we moved from Seattle down South here, it's like more square footage, you know, what can we get, you know, more, more square, more square footage for less money. And what I've learned through CCA and this commandment of closer over more is exactly the gap I was creating from getting further away. And I think this is typical in uh, semi-typical in entrepreneurs of like, I really value time um, and uh, wanted time with my family. But the reasoning I was using was that I wanted more time with my family. So I had to spin up all these things so I could get more clients, make more money so that in the future, I can spend more time with my family when we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And I wasn't spending the time with my family now, which you would think with a mindfulness background and being present like th that would be all <laughs> cleared away, but it still just creeps in. And um, that's the biggest thing was peeling away, you know, more tools, more subscriptions, more certifications. I peeled all of that away to spend more time with my family. And then, and that in our, in my business has 
given me the quantum leap necessary, um, the least amount of effort, least amount of risk, and most amount of options that you talk about in CCA uh, has totally been so much easier because of my awareness around closer versus more, and then taking the actions needed to get closer to what I want. Uh, which then also brought up, like, I had to be really clear in what I wanted. So that was in the beginning, when I learned that commandment, that was the hardest thing. It's like, oh, I don't have total clarity on, on what I want. And then this idea that once you know what you want, that's like, it's permanent. And so I had to kind of unravel all that, like, oh, I have new data. I can change what I want because I have this new information. I think it's really comforting to hear knowing your background and mindfulness and degrees and certifications, all of that is even with all of that uh, and, and maybe in the top 1% plus of training around that, that it's still a challenge. And so it's comforting, I think, for, for me to hear selfishly, but hopefully the listeners to hear as well, which is uh, it's a process. It's an ongoing process. Uh, Dr. Huberman in the Huberman Lab podcast, which I'm a big fan of his, he talks about how dopamine is the is sort of the chemical of more. We tend to think about it as for happiness, but really encoded in us is this thing that makes us want more. And of course, I'm not going to do justice in explaining the science behind it the way that he does. But if you think about our, our evolution of uh, as humans and hunting and gathering that we had to be in pursuit of more to survive, right? And so we have this, this uh, biological desire. So all of us are gonna default to it, right? Um, and that's fine, that's okay. And as long as we create a little bit of space to go like, okay, well, is this thing I'm in pursuit of, is it actually going to get me closer? And so it turns out if we have that little filter, there's almost, and I'm curious your reaction to this, from my experience in implementing this initial filter, here's a thing, is this thing worth doing? I don't know, will it get me closer to what I want? Okay, well, what is it that I want? Sometimes I know, sometimes I don't, so I might have to pause for a while and figure that out. But once I know that, like 80 or 90% of things that I used to say yes to just go away. Oh, completely. I freed up 30 hours a week, at least, yeah. just by understanding closer versus more, peeling away the things that I should be doing or I'm supposed to do in order to get my business to the next step. It, it's been life-changing and it impacts every area of my life. Now. Uh, I kind of teased this, so I mentioned you have kids. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit about how this has maybe impacted them, or I think some of your kids have, have uh, you know, they use these tools against us. So it's like, you want them to know this, but then you teach it and they're like, hey, then they start, they start calling you on <laughs> the yeah. incongruities in life. So if you wouldn't mind sharing how your kids have uh, in, been impacted by this concept. Yeah. So my kiddos now are 12, 14, and 16. So seventh grade, freshman in high school, and a junior in high school. And so, um, you know, what's interesting about the work that I do is that I'll often say, like, kids have this naturally. These are age-old principles. 
that come from so long ago that I think are natural within us that have been beaten out of us, conditioned out of us, however you want to say. So when I bring it up to the kids, or I'm just talking about it in context of what we're doing in the way, like I'm not teaching them. It's just kind of how we live our life in our house now. Um, it's for my oldest, particularly my 16 year old, just cause he's older and can kind of get these concepts. Um, it seems somewhat natural to him already. And so uh, whenever we're talking about anything, he will bring it up. He's like, well, does that get you closer to what you want? Like the first time he said that last year when he was 15, I was, it was almost like a smack in the face. Like, oh, right. Like, well, I wasn't even thinking that. So when you talk about like, it's still challenging, it's not every moment. Like there's, I have to be very conscious sometimes of like, oh yes, there are these commandments that I've learned and, um, you know, have been brought great benefit in my life. And yet it's not always the first thing I think about. And so um, I, I look at him and all the kids and the way they think about things. And I'm able to weave in just some of the principles and frameworks. Uh, and it's really cool to just watch them use it in their day-to-day -day life, you know, whether it's um, around homework or things they want. My oldest is starting, has started a, like a little side business that he has. And so I've been able to bring it wow. into that. He, he um, buys and resells sneakers <laughs> online. And so we get to have really cool conversations about how that impacts his future and business. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that. And what came to mind as I was uh, listening to you is something that Randy Massengale, who's part of our uh, faculty and former senior advisor to Bill Gates, at Microsoft and on and on and on. And he's got three wildly successful kids, adult kids. And he talks about how values are caught, not taught. And I think that story that you just shared was a really great example of, you can tell your kids about closer versus more, but really they're gonna learn it because they watch you doing it. Like they're, and the opportunity to catch you on it and for you to go, hey, you know what? Like create some space and go, hey, you might be right here, or let's talk about that. Um, I think it's just a great case in point on uh, how they are, are watching you and, uh, and uh, so the way that you're teaching them is through your behaviors. So they're, they're catching that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, not every moment. So you learn these, these commandments, but not every moment you get it right. And again, I, I appreciate the vulnerability in you sharing, sharing that. Uh, what we're really looking for is relative change. So maybe in the past, and I know for me personally, a lot of these commandments and things I learned are really in a function of <laughs> mistakes that I've made and how do I, I not continue to do the same thing. And so maybe in the past, if it used to take you three months to realize this thing you're doing is getting you further away and now it takes you one month, that relative change is massive in your life. And now if it goes down to a day or a couple hours, the goal is not to get it to zero because again, we're hardwired to want more. The goal is to keep reducing the amount of time it takes for you to realize, hey, this thing I'm doing is not really serving me. So I think a really good point on not every moment, that's not actually the goal. The goal is to catch yourself and then reorient. Uh, and I think what people get caught up into is like, 
as they're listening to different concepts uh, on the podcast and things like that, uh, something else that really came out of CCA that's very, very present for me, probably because I used to do it, is this idea of like thin slicing. So mm -hmm. we take closer versus more as a, a commandment, but there are so many other pieces that help support me in my closer versus more journey, right? So once you recognize, oh, I'm going for more instead of closer, now you have all these frameworks too to help the decision-making process. And so to take one commandment and just say, okay, this is going to change my life. Cause I used to do that. I'd listen to someone on a podcast and be like, oh, I'm going to do that without knowing all the other little nuanced pieces that are impacting that thing. And so when I talk about closer versus more, there's so many other pieces underlying the foundation of that, that helps support me recognizing it and then doing, taking a different action because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And to your point, we got that commandment, but there's three others that are interrelated. And then these 12 principles that we teach at the end of the day, though, they're, it's an operating system. And the objective is for us to not be perfect and for our life to, uh, go from chaos to rigidity because we know we're building some system where we're probably going to go back and forth. Right. So it's yeah. more honoring the process and, uh, and continually trying to close the gap. So it used to take me three months. Now it takes me two months. Now it takes me a month. That's a massive net improvement. So Renee, thank you so much for coming on and I really appreciate you. Uh, you were a critical piece to our last cohort in CCA. Really, I think about you as like the glue that held, held the cohort together. So sincerely, I appreciate you and thanks yeah. for coming on. Yeah, thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's show as much as I did. If you're interested in learning more about my book, Breaking the Game, How to Achieve Financial Certainty, Navigate Risk, and Make Money on Your Terms, go to riggingamazon.com. If you're interested in joining our next cohort in the Certainty Certified Advisor Program, go to CertaintyU.com.